The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks just trying to keep the rally alive as investor attention shifts from the Fed over to earnings. And Netflix shares are surging. Co-CEO Reed Hastings says the stars are aligning for the year ahead. And in Washington, President Biden said to announce yet another release from the country's strategic petroleum reserves. Plus this morning, investors, they're getting charged up ahead of Tesla earnings share surges ahead of that release after the bell. And later on in the show, hang up for pumpkin spice, a new report on just how much consumers are willing to shell out for some ginger, cinnamon and nutmeg. It is Wednesday, October the 19th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good Wednesday morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off your Wednesday morning with U.S. stock futures. Let's take a look. We're seeing some movement in the futures this morning. We're definitely off of our highs of the morning. Right now, the futures in the red to basically flat down fractionally a little bit. We're seeing the Nasdaq actually pop back up in the green just a few seconds ago. This after another strong day for stocks that saw the Dow rally more than 300 points or 1% higher. Similar gains for the Nasdaq and the broader S&P 500. A higher close today would mean three straight gains for the major averages. Also checking the bond market this morning. Yields this morning we're seeing above 4% on the 10-year. Also, we're seeing the two-year note at 4.4%. Something to watch. Always remember, when the yield above the 10-year gets above 4%, that can often put pressure on high growth and tech stocks. Also looking at energy. Oil right now, well, it's actually up this morning, just fractionally right now. We're seeing WTI crude at 83 bucks a barrel. That's just about five bucks a barrel less than it was about a week ago. Of course, we're waiting an announcement from the Biden administration on releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, something to watch there in the oil market. And in crypto, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether right now. The movements that we're seeing right now, well, a little bit mixed right now. Bitcoin basically flat this morning, still under 20,000. Ether slightly up, XRP down more than a percent. All right, let's get a check on the early action over in Europe and some historic inflation data out of the U.K. Our Jumana Brissetti is standing by in our London newsroom with the early trade over in Europe and Jumana. Double-digit inflation over there in the U.K. That is right. UK in focus yet again, Frank. Today we got the headline inflation print out of the UK coming in at 10.1 percentage points. Core inflation, 6.5 percentage points. So a red hot number. And you can see behind me the reaction has been pretty negative today. FTSE 100 down about three tenths of a percentage point. Also on news that the Bank of England are actually going to begin their sales of gilt as of November the 1st. This came as a bit of a surprise to the market. They put out a statement yesterday afternoon and is having an impact on the way fixed income is trading today. There are also reports suggesting that the new chancellor may be looking to introduce a windfall tax on banks too. So some of the domestic banks are also
also being sold heavily into trade. FTSE MIB in Italy down about three-tenths of a percentage point. We're watching the political environment there very closely. Some fractures beginning to emerge already in the center-right coalition. So you've got to see how all of that plays out before the prime minister formally announces the cabinet structure. Zetrodax in Germany down about two-tenths of a percentage point. And then finally, we're getting a little bit of green in France, just above that flat line. Worth pointing out there, too, that there have been a, a lot of industrial strikes, a lot of action uh, demonstrations the last couple of days. Uh, workers are protesting for higher wages, and it is having an impact on refinery production in France, too. Frank. All right, Germana, thank you very much. Turning our attention to our top story now, shares of Netflix rocketing higher after Netflix blew past top and bottom line estimates. Netflix added 2.4 million subscribers globally in the last three months, more than doubling its projections from last quarter. Here's founder and co-CEO Reed Hastings on the call last night. Thank God we're done with shrinking quarters. So that's the big feeling of we're back to the positivity. Everything the company's focused on, whether that's on the content side, on marketing, uh, lowering prices to the ad supported, um, the paid sharing, uh, the thoughtful approach we're doing there uh, lines us up um, for a good next year. All the stars are lining up very well for us. Well, one of the happier earnings reports we've seen in a while. Arjun Karpal joins me now with more Arjun. It looks like the rumors of Netflix's death have been greatly exaggerated. Great quarter for them. Absolutely, Frank. And I love that comment there from Reed Hastings because it really sums up there. This was a quarter that Netflix needed to deliver and the bulls really needed Netflix to deliver. And they did deliver in the quarter, showing that they can still manage to eke out growth in what is becoming a more competitive environment um, alongside all of those macroeconomic concerns as well. When we saw that paid net uh, subscriber addition, 2.41 million, with a lot of that growth, actually the majority of that coming from the Asia-Pacific region, again, validating Netflix's international strategy as well, where, of course, it sees a lot of the growth coming from in the future as well. The guidance was key here as well of $7.8 billion in revenue for Q4. Reed Hastings saying it's reasonable, not fantastic, but that was enough for the market. That was what they wanted to see, that Netflix has a plan going forward to continue to grow those subscribers. Um, So clearly a very good report there. We got a bit of color on the ad supported tier saying that's launching in November and the initial demand is strong, but it won't be a material impact yet on Q4, but they expect growth in the coming quarters, Frank. So, Arjun, obviously a surprise beat all across the board for Netflix. So my question for you is, where do they continue to find growth? You mentioned a lot of that growth came from the Asia-Pacific region. But here in the U.S., they're still trying to find not their footing. They're obviously the dominant player, but a way to keep that advantage. What can they do to get that advantage back here in the U.S.? Yeah, there's some, uh, in some respects, Frank, really, the, the U.S. market at the moment perhaps is reaching near penetration in terms of streaming. Yes, it's still the early days, but there's lots of things that need to happen for the U.S. market to continue to grow streaming. It could be upgrades in technology such as TVs, etc. So it is still an early market, but where Netflix is really looking now is into those international markets, and it's going to come down to content. Content, as we know, is king for Netflix, and in the third quarter and the coming quarters, it's managing to deliver some pretty high high profile and very uh, sticky content. That's key. Stickiness. Can it continue to get its users to stay with the platform, not cancel subscriptions, not change to lower um, price subscriptions now that it's introduced that ad tier? And I think at the moment it's managed to nail uh, some of that uh, content, particularly with things like Stranger Things and the, and the, the Dharma Jeffrey, um, Jeffrey Dahmer documentary as well, which has been very popular for the company. And, and they are expecting uh, continued strong hits with the content pipeline ahead.
Yeah, I think they still have high hopes for Bridgerton and a lot of those other shows. Arjun, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. All right, let's get to another top story this morning. And President Biden under pressure to keep oil prices down. Our Silvana Hanau is here with much more on that story. Silvana, good morning. Frank, good morning. Well, yeah, so President Biden is set to announce an additional release of oil from the country's strategic petroleum reserve today in the range of 10 to 15 million barrels. The move will extend the current SPR delivery program, which began over the spring. Now, the move just three weeks ahead of the midterm elections is intended to counteract a European Union embargo on Russian oil, which is scheduled to go into effect on December 5th and is likely to add volatility to global oil markets. Now, so far this year, the White House has released about 165 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Reserve out of a total that it said would be around 180 million. The reserve is currently at a 40-year low, but it is far from empty. At capacity, it can hold about 714 million barrels. And Frank sources tell CNBC the president will announce he intends to repurchase oil for the reserve when prices are at or below between $67 and 72 per barrel. All right, Silvana Hanau with the very latest. We'll see you later on the show, yeah. Silvana. Thank you. All right, turning our attention back to the broader markets now. Since hitting a new closing low for the year of 3640 on September 29th, we've really seen some furious action for the S&P 500 and all the other major averages, both to the upside and to the downside, with two straight gains and solid gains this week, fueled by some stronger-than-expected earnings. Is the road ahead all clear for now, or should investors be looking for more hazard signs, maybe even putting on their hazard lights? I don't know. Let's bring in Craig Johnson, Chief Market Technician at Piper Sandler. Craig, great to have you here. Thanks, Frank, and uh, good morning. I think the real question is, is this really going to be a trick or a treat with this Halloween right around the corner? Uh, There's no question that investors have been pretty spooked by the inflation, uh, monetary policy concerns, and it's pushed U.S. equities into a bear market, Frank. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so Craig, I want to ask you, uh, you were actually pretty bullish last time you were here on WEX uh, about a month ago. You said your year-end target for the S&P 500 was 47.75, a more than 25 percent move to the upside from where we are right now. But again, that was a month ago. Has your price target changed at all? And what are you seeing in the technicals now that's informing your opinion? Yeah, Frank, so we did lower that price target to sort of kind of uh, kind of market to market in terms of where we are for year end with a little less than 60 trading days left to go this year. So we lowered it from 47.75 to 3,900. But what I got to tell you is I still think that there's upside in this market for a couple of reasons. And there are a couple of catalysts out here for what we think could be a pretty decent move into year end. First and foremost, uh, there's still a lot of cash on the sidelines. When I go through and I look at uh, how much cash is there, we're talking $4 trillion. That's 900 billion dollars above uh, where we were pre-pandemic, Frank. We also have got seasonality coming up. Uh, whether people like it or not, uh, you go back and you look at the numbers and historically post midterm elections, uh, you tend to see a pretty strong October, November and December. And then third, I'll just point out in terms of market breadth, it is really at very, very depressed levels. Now, you can't say that there's capitulation is fully in the market yet, Frank. But when you start looking at where you're at with cash, where you're at with market breadth, and also the fact that the AAII bearish numbers at this point in time are at the 99th percentile, you have to step back and say, hmm, this is probably a good time where we could see a relief rally or something more in this market. 
All right. So you're saying the technicals are showing that we could see a rally. So my question for you is, if you're an investor, especially someone who's an index investor, we're seeing a growing portion of people in the market being index investors buying the S&P 500 index. Is right now the time to buy the dip? I mean, the S&P down about 22 percent from its high. You're saying the signs all point to it moving to the upside. I think I think the answer in short, Frank, is yes. And I think what investors have to do in these kind of markets is you're probably not putting a full position on. You're probably just starting to add to your positions slowly in here. Remember what uh, Warren Buffett's always said. You got to be greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. And at this point in time, there certainly is quite a bit of fear out there when you just look at that those AAII numbers, Frank. So we got to talk about it. Your price target is 3900 but how do we get there? Do we have more choppiness? You mentioned the midterm elections. A lot of other things coming up, more earnings seasons, uh, reports coming up. we got another big one after the bell today with IBM. We have Tesla coming up as well. So how do we get to that 3900 Well, I think you're going to get to that from uh, certainly some sort of oversold uh, rally coming into play. And when we look through the earnings numbers, the one thing that struck me yesterday and over the last couple of days, and certainly with the Netflix numbers, there's a lot of negative things out there at this point in time. But stocks are not reacting to the downside. You look at some of the earnings reports we've seen so far, and we've actually been seeing stocks moving higher, not only on analyst price cuts, but also on some of the earnings numbers that maybe were not quite as strong as people have thought. It seems like we're kind of in a point in time right now where uh, the, the earnings cuts have sort of reset expectations for investors, and investors just did not want to buy ahead of the earnings prints, and we're actually seeing the stocks coming up. So I think a combination of those things, Frank, being at such beaten up levels, could be the catalyst. And if you look at some of the stocks out there that we find interesting, stocks like Schwab, First Interstate Bank, uh, Dino in terms of the uh, uh, in terms of the refiners. There's a lot of constructive stocks, and I think you have to at least be adding to some positions in here at this point in time. Yeah, earnings season not playing out quite as how people expected. Look at Adobe yesterday, surging <laughs> even though it's for guidance missed estimates. Hard to figure out. All right, Craig Johnson, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. Thanks, All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on Netflix and why my next guest is not buying what Hastings and Company are putting out. Plus, Tesla shares seeing a big rebound ahead of today's earnings, or a bit of a rebound. Does Elon Musk have what it takes to top expectations or join Dancing with the Stars? The man's got moves. I can hint tonight. And later, a closer look at the possible sentiment shift when it comes to retail investors, something that could fuel the next leg of the recent rally. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Make sure you stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
All right, welcome back. Uh, as, that, as China's week-long party congress continues, Xi Jinping is set to receive a third term as the head of the country's ruling Communist Party, but there's a growing focus on who will join him for the next five years in leading that country. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now with more on the names that could play a big part in China's road ahead. Hey there, Eunice. Hey there, Frank. Oh, well, first of all, I want to just update you on the COVID situation here in Beijing. Um, Beijing now has hit a four-month high in terms of its COVID infections, and so authorities have started urging residents here to make sure that they don't self-medicate and to definitely report themselves to the authorities. Now, all of this is happening as the Congress is underway. Uh, Frank had mentioned that there's been a lot of speculation about what the new lineup is going to be, uh, the elite team under President Xi Jinping. And there's one name that's been getting a lot of attention, and that is the name Li Chang. And he is currently the head of Shanghai. He's been a chief there um, who's come under a lot of criticism, both inside and outside of the party, for his um, handling of the pandemic situation there. Of course, we know that it was in a two-month, the city was in a two-month lockdown. Uh, but what's interesting for investors in terms of this selection is that if he does show up um, potentially as the number two uh, for uh, President Xi Jinping, it would indicate that uh, zero COVID is here for quite some time. And also that... Um, that um, being loyal to President Xi is really the most important qualification to be on the uh, leadership team. Now, separately, Shanghai has announced, or at least there were documents, uh, rather, that showed that Shanghai is going to start construction on a 3,200-bed isolation facility for COVID patients. And uh, in Hong Kong, uh, there's been a little bit of a different tact uh, being taken there uh, because they've had so much fallout from zero COVID. The chief executive, John Lee, has said that they're going to be offering a foreign talent, new visas, as well as some other property perks to try to uh, get uh, more global talent to the city. And then um, here in Beijing, what we've also seen is a bit of pushback to zero COVID. If you remember last week, there was a, a, pr a protester um, on a bridge uh, that um, situation was very heavily censored um, across China, but we're starting to see what appears to be copycat graffiti, not only here in Beijing, but also in other parts of the country where people are uh, posting the slogans that that bridge protester had used and mainly, Frank, in public bathrooms because there aren't as many security cameras, or at least that's the, the belief as to why they would be appearing there. Oh, wow. Interesting. Uh, obviously, a lot of developments there in China. One other one I want to ask you about, Eunice. Is there any word on the GDP numbers that were supposed to come out on Tuesday, along with economic data, uh, other economic data and any rationale as to why that release has been delayed? Well, in terms of the actual numbers, uh, no word yet. Uh, but in terms of the rationale, there's been a lot of speculation that um, perhaps um, Maybe the people who are going to publish the data were feeling that President Xi would be embarrassed or that there could be some sort of distraction to the Congress and nobody wants to see that. But also there's another a line of thinking that that it could be that the uh, people who sign off on those documents were either caught up in some of the COVID restrictions, possibly in quarantine or or the like, and that that delayed any decision making. And, and the reason uh, for that is that in, in China, it looks as though more and more people don't necessarily want to be the ones uh, signing off on the documents if um, that's not their job. So so um, that could be another reason why we are seeing this um, this delay. Uh, of course, that bodes poorly for other data that's supposed to be coming out uh, later this week. 
and um, also doesn't really do well for, for China's image when it comes to reporting economic data. Yeah, a lot of developments there in China. Eunice Yoon, we know you're going to always be on top of it. Please stay safe, especially with this COVID cases surging over there. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange this morning's big money movers, including the friendly skies, looking just a bit more crowded than usual. Plus, just how much more adult Happy Meals are fetching on the resale market. That staggering figure and your top trending stories. Trending's back when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Today's big number. 13.1%. That's how much Halloween candy prices have jumped since last year, according to the latest Bureau of Labor Inflation data. The average household will spend around $30 on Halloween candy this year. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. We're going to start with shares of Intuitive Surgical. They are jumping this morning, up almost 10%. The medical equipment maker beating top and bottom line estimates for its most recent quarter. Revenue for the third quarter up 11% for, from a year ago. The company did say, though, that profit declined from a year ago because of rising expenses. Over the past three months, that stock off just around 6%. Not bad in this market. All right, shares of United Airlines. Flying this morning, we should say, uh, up more than 6%. The company forecasting another profit for the end of the year, saying consumer appetite for travel is showing no signs of slowing down. Despite those higher fares, United says, quote, trends continue to overcome the recessionary pressures in the macroeconomic environment. And fourth quarter adjusted operating margin is expected to be above 2019 for the first time. And you don't want to miss a CNBC exclusive interview with United CEO Scott Kirby. That's coming up on Squawk Box at 8 o'clock. And shares of Adobe, they're popping this morning. The software maker issuing guidance for its next fiscal year that actually fell short of estimates, but mostly due to the stronger dollar. For the 2023 fiscal year, Adobe is looking at $15.15 to $15.45 in adjusted earnings per share. That was slightly below estimates that called for $15.53 a share. Adobe did reaffirm guidance for the current year, but you see shares are actually up in the pre-market, up 3%. They actually surged after the bell as well. Coming up, the roadhead for Tesla as it prepares to release its latest quarterly results, while my next guest says he's a little bit worried about a demand downturn. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. Wall Street's win streak looking at risk, but could another round of earnings provide fresh fuel for more gains? And more hawkish speak from one Fed official vowing to go above and beyond with rate hikes to get inflation under control. And shares of Netflix taking off as it puts a stop to weak subscriber figures as executives look to turn the page for the streaming giant struggles. It is Wednesday, October the 19th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
All right, welcome back and happy Wednesday morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in New York. We want to take a quick check of the U.S. stock futures right now. They've been fluctuating all morning. In the green right now, fractionally higher. The Dow looks like it could open up slightly in the green at this point. But, of course, it's still early. And let's also hit oil. As President Biden gets set to announce an additional release of oil from the country's strategic petroleum reserve today, somewhere in the range of 10 to 15 million barrels. Crude right now we're seeing slightly up this morning. WTI, uh, the U.S. benchmark, at about 83, 84 bucks a barrel. That's about 3 or $4 less than it closed just a week ago. Brent crude up almost a percent right now. All right, let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here. She's back with those and much more. Hey, Savannah. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Yeah, we have lots to cover. Another Fed official is speaking out on the central bank's rate hike strategy, saying it can't put a stop to the plan with core inflation still accelerating. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari sticking with his hawkish tone, saying the Fed may need to push its benchmark policy rate well above 4.75 if underlying inflation does not stop rising. Most central, most central bank policymakers expect to, the need to raise that rate, that rate currently at three to three and a to three point two five percent to between four point five and five percent. Shares of ASML Holdings on the rise after reporting better than expected third quarter results. The company, Europe's largest tech company and a key equipment supplier to chip manufacturers, topping expectations with sales, profit, and record new bookings. ASML adding it does not expect a large impact from U.S. chip sanctions on China. Hong Kong is planning to spend billions to attract businesses and top talent. Chief Executive John Lee, making his first policy address since taking office in July, announced the government will set aside $3.8 billion as part of the plan. It will also allow certain foreign talent to be eligible for a two-year pass for exploring opportunities in Hong Kong. And Celsius Network is reportedly facing investigations by federal officials. According to Bloomberg, citing a filing from lawyers for its unsecured creditors, the bankrupt crypto lender is not only subject to probes at the federal level, but by at least 40 states. The report adds that previous filings have shown inquiries by the SEC, CFTC and FTC, Frank. All right, our Silvana Hanau, thank you very much. Uh, A lot going on in the world of crypto. (laughs) All right, time now for your big money movers. Shares of Netflix skyrocketing after posting better than expected results on the top and the bottom line. The streaming giant reporting the addition of over 2.4 million global subscribers, more than doubling projections put out last quarter. CEO Ree Hastings issuing some positive guidance on last night's earnings call. Take a listen. Thank God we're done with shrinking quarters. So that's the big feeling of... We're back to the positivity, everything the company's focused on, whether that's on the content side, on marketing, uh, lowering prices to the ad supported, um, the paid sharing, uh, the thoughtful approach we're doing there uh, lines us up um, for a good next year. All the stars are lining up very well for us. All right. A lot of excitement there from Reed Hastings. Let's talk more about this with Matthew Harrigan, senior equity analyst at the Benchmark Company. Matthew, thanks for being here. Thank you, Frank. All right. So well, you know, I'm still skeptical. You know, we haven't been perma bears on this, but we've really had a sell on it since the COVID, you know, top. Uh, in the context of having over 220 million members, having 2.4 million versus guidance for 1 million, uh, I don't think is that impressive. And the guidance for uh, Q4, four and a half million is actually lighted the 5 million that we were we were carrying. Uh, you know, I, I think you know, they are backing off from releasing uh, member guidance now. 
And I, I do agree the street gets too manic in the response, both on the upside and on, on the downside. But I think it's a necessary evil we all have to live with. I mean, it's important, you know, metric. Uh, you know, certainly some of the financial guidance isn't particularly Boolean either. We had already adjusted for uh, the dollar effects. You know, look at currency baskets in the different markets, and that still came in a little bit light. So I think that the street is really uh, viewing uh, the, the advertising ABOT approach as a bit of a panacea in terms of current, turning the company around. But I, I still think that's a bit of a show me. I think when you look at Netflix, I mean, it's a media company. You have to look at everything in terms of the aggregate of the TV market, you know, SPOD uh, plus linear. And you have to be uh, realistic in terms of uh, the competition out there. All right. So, Matthew, um, uh, we just showed a graphic a second ago with your price target at 157. Uh, right now, Netflix trading at 272. Seems like they're kind of on a hot streak. Obviously, those subscriber numbers, 2.4 million, blowing away expectations. They got the Dahmer show. Bridgerton's going to come back at some point. How are you planning to change your price target at all? Because you're obviously very bearish on the stock. Well, you know, the stock was uh, 700-ish, and we had a, a price target, you know, well well below that. And, you know, again, I, I think that this uh, stock still gets uh, street cred as more or less a, a, a tech company, you know, category killer. And I, I think it's another media company in a highly competitive, you know, market and when you consider the Q4 guidance was light of where we were, and I, I believe consensus, uh, you know, having a you know 14 percent uh, advance really seems like kind of a re- relief reflex rather than something that's necessarily merited off, off off the fundamentals. So what can we make of a lot of that growth coming from the Asia Pacific region as opposed to the U.S., which is generally considered its core market? Has it already saturated the U.S.? Is international growth the only option at this point? Well, it, it, they only grew 100,000 in, in North America, and that's probably about as expected. You know, I, th- I think there's a, a tremendous amount of prospective Asian growth. I think you have to respect the local competition markets like India and certainly other international companies, you know, Amazon, Disney, et cetera, that, that are engaged. But remember, that's at a very low price point you know, relative to the U.S. That can be low to, low to mid uh, s- single digits. So, you know, I, I think if you go back, you know, three or four years ago, maybe five years ago, the bulls were very excited about India, you know, talking about, you know, the market there in terms of members being as large as the U.S. And of course, that uh, didn't exactly materialize in the, in the manner people had it expected. All right, Matthew Harrigan, sticking with that 157 price target for Netflix, the stock trading at 272 this morning. We have to keep our eye on it. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. All right, let's stick with earnings and turn to Tesla. Shares of the electric vehicle company getting a mild boost ahead of its report after the bell today. Investors really focusing on production ramps at factories in Texas and Berlin. After deliveries for the third quarter, they came in lower than expected. Shareholders also watching for news around CEO Elon Musk and his ongoing deal to buy Twitter and whether his financing plan will have an impact on Tesla shares. Joining me now is Tim Higgins, technology reporter for The Wall Street Journal. He's also a CNBC contributor and author of Power Play, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the bet of the century. I, I got to read that book. That sounds interesting. Tim, thank you for being here. Thank you. So I think the big question right now for when it comes to Tesla is growth. Are they going to hit those growth targets that they set out? What's your opinion? I mean, we just had one of our reporters, Yunus Yun in China, talking about uh, zero COVID policy still in place. Um, a lot of lockdowns and things there. That's obviously a source of growth for Tesla and a lot of other companies. Yeah, that, that's the, the huge uh, thing that people are going to be looking for later today is that growth story. Not only does Tesla reiterate its 50% growth target for the year, which would mean needing to uh, sell almost half a million vehicles in the final three months of the year, which is basically what they did in all of 2020. 
so that's a huge lift for them. Not saying they can't do it, but it, what's their enthusiasm for that? And also, what kind of commentary does Elon Musk make during the call of analysts? Is he enthusiastic for these next months ahead? Because as we all know, consumers are in kind of a weird place right now uh, with all these crosswinds and concerns about the economy and about the future. So obviously there's a lot of talk and a lot of scuttlebutt about Elon Musk uh, dumping some of his Tesla shares to pay for this Twitter acquisition. But isn't that already priced into the stock? I mean, we all know that he was going to have to do some of that. So why are people so concerned when we've known for quite a bit, even with all the twists and the turns, whether he's going to buy it or not, that probably he was going to have to buy Twitter and he was going to have to sell some Tesla shares? Well, he's already unloaded uh, quite a bit uh, of shares uh, for the Twitter acquisition. The concern is, uh, as he goes to finalize that deal, uh, what, of, what other shares does he need to do? Uh, what didn't work out as previously planned? That's the concern among some investors that once they get past this lockup period, uh, the earnings period, once it gets announced, that then he'll have to go back into the market. So there's that concern. But there's also some hope among some of the more bullish uh, Tesla investors out there that there could be a Tesla buyback of shares that could help juice the stock. So lots of concerns, lots of attention on where that stock is going to be in the next few days, which is in some ways classic Tesla trading, given uh, this is a growth story and people are always looking for kind of signs of excitement and signs of possibility from these earnings calls. All right. So speaking of the earnings call, Elon Musk expected to make a return to the earnings call. This might be our opportunity to show some of that video of him dancing. What are you expecting? Does he dance around a lot of the concerns that analysts might have, or does he just face them head on? It, traditionally, he doesn't like to, to face some of these harder uh, financial questions, uh, which he thinks are perhaps boring or, in his words, boneheaded. Uh, he likes to talk about the future, the potential of the company, the, the future of cars, of AI, and these sorts of things. And so if it's classic Elon, that's probably the lever he'll pull to try to uh, stoke excitement for that future. Uh, the questions about inflation, uh, where the customer are, those are sometimes harder to tease out from him. All right. Well, Tesla shares up just about a half a percent right now. That earnings call with Elon Musk on it, must listen earnings call. It doesn't happen very often in the world of Wall Street. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Coming up, your morning RBI and a look at just how tough a year it has actually been for the markets. Plus, the sentiment shift that looks to be taking place among retail investors. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Are pumpkin spice product cravings apparently coming at a cost? A new study from Magnify shows retailers often charge more for the gourd-flavored items versus the standard version, with the products on average costing 14% more, 14% more for that pumpkin spice latte. Speaking of costing more, McDonald's and all Happy Meal toys going for big bucks on the secondary markets. Imagine that. Fast food giants team up. With streetwear company Cactus Plant Flea Market are selling for up to $300,000 on sites like eBay. And also in high demand, Elon Musk's burnt hair perfume. Musk tweeting last night that the 30,000 bottles of the quote-unquote exquisite odor have sold out at $100 a piece. That means Elon Musk pulled in around $3 million. Wow. Worldwide Exchange, back in the morning. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for something random but interesting for that. We send it out to our Brian Sullivan. Thanks, and it is time for your morning RBI. Happy Wednesday, by the way. Today, let's stay focused on the markets because, really, that has been the story here on CNBC all year. And as you know, it has been a rough year for, well, nearly everything. Major stock averages, government bonds, crypto, they're all down. 2022 has been tough as inflation runs rampant and the Fed is 
according to some, probably about a year behind the curve on rate hikes. But while you know that it's been a tough year, do you know how tough, but also how rare it has actually been? We do, thanks to data from Charlie Bellello and Compound Capital. Listen to this. Going all the way back to 1928, there have only been five years where both the S&P 500 and the U.S. 10-year bond were down. That's it. Just five. Usually when one goes down, the other one goes up and vice versa, but not this year. And those only five times were in the years 1931, 1941, 1969, and 2018, and this year. So until 2018, it had been a 49-year gap since they both fell. Probably most of you weren't even born yet. But here's what's really random but interesting. While there have been those five years where both the S&P and the 10-year were down, there's only been one year where both were down 10% or more. That is this year. That's right. 2022 is the only year in nearly 100 years where both the biggest stock index and the 10-year government bond lost 10% of their value or more. That is just how rare this kind of year it has been. Now, to be fair, it's not all bad news. Keep in mind that as bad as it sounds, the S&P 500 is still up 40% over five years, a pretty nice return. And bonds, of course, we're in a 40-year bull market coming into this year, so be sure to keep the long-term perspective. But this year truly is an historic year for both stocks and bonds. Hopefully also random but interesting. All right, thanks a lot, Brian, for that morning RBI. Sticking with the markets, as stocks try to add to their latest win streak, there appears to be a sentiment shift going on at the retail investor level, one that could help fuel the next leg up in the recent rally, Joining me now is Investopedia Editor-in-Chief Caleb Silver. Good morning, Caleb. Good to be with you as always. Yeah, great to see you as always, man. So I want to get to some of the hottest tickers and some of the hottest trades in a second. Um, it's really interesting what the hottest tickers are. But first, let's start off with where is retail investor sentiment? We've seen a lot of ups and downs over the last few weeks. Um, a lot of people got into the market during that big bull market during the pandemic. How are they feeling right now? Pretty cautious, Frank, and that's really been the case for the last few months. Cautious, but a little promiscuous when you look at some of the tickers that they're trading, when you look at some of the things that they're interested in. We look at this all the time in Investopedia because we get millions of questions every day from investors wondering what to do or what something means. But just think about the things that have been happening lately. You had that near bond catastrophe in the UK with the gilts nearly collapsing there. You had the spike in CDO and CLO trading. That's enough to get you interested because that's a 2008 reference there. You have the recession drug be getting louder and louder every single day. Heavy options trading, especially in those zero days to even S&P mini futures. We've seen a lot of action by retail traders in that part of the market. And then you have this extreme bearishness, which is usually a contrarian indicator. We see that in our own sentiment surveys. You see that in AAII. Pretty much everywhere you look, a lot of caution. But you see some folks starting to dip in and you see it in the money flows because we're seeing money moving in to mid-cap and large caps. And you look at the Dow performance over the last couple of weeks, the Dow's had a pretty good last couple of weeks. Dow Industrial's potentially leading us out of this bear market. All right, Kev, we want to follow the money here. You sent us some of the hottest trades and the hottest tickers. Uh, Tesla's number one. Obviously, there's just a cult around Tesla. That's always going to be a popular stock. But I found this interesting. One of your top trades is the QQQ, which is obviously the NASDAQ 100. And then one's the SQQQ, which is shorting the NASDAQ 100. And then the TQQQ, which is triple leverage the, the NASDAQ 100. So what does that say? How do investors feel about tech right now, at least mega cap tech? 
Yeah, you got this yo-yoing of emotion. You got on the one hand investors betting for a further collapse in the queues in the top 100 stocks in the Nasdaq. You got others investing, uh, betting on a big rally there. And that's pretty much what we see across the board. So I was looking at the hottest trades. Fidelity tracks these on the daily basis. Tesla, of course, going to be very, very hot today. SQs, the TQs, Amazon, SPY, just straight SPY and the queues themselves. That tells you that people want to get back in and they're thinking there could be a rally here off the bottom. Uh, you never know. And it's hard to time the market. That's why we don't. But you see this extreme uh, pull to the one side of further downside and then the extreme pull of further upside. Folks trying to capture that. And when we look at people are searching for on Investopedia, they're still pretty cautious. They're looking for things like what are gilts based on what was happening in the UK. They're looking at the best one-year CD rates. That's a super cautious bet because they think they can get more money in the bank than the stock market. They're looking for the best high-yield savings accounts. Uh, They're looking for what is a margin call. Could be a reference to the movie. And then they're looking for a timeline of stock market crashes. And don't forget, Frank, today, an ignoble anniversary for Black Monday, 1987. And 35 years later, people are a little bit scared, but they're wondering when we're going to bottom here. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, the Black Monday anniversary in just a short time, but also looking at the VIX. The VIX is actually up today about a percent, but quarter to date, it's actually down. So you mentioned people are cautious. Are we seeing the same levels of anxiety in the market as we saw last year and the year before? Not at all, which is so interesting. It's kind of been this orderly unwinding and this orderly sell-off over the past seven or eight months. It's the third worst start to the S&P 500, I think, in history. You can add that to Brian's RBI because in the history of that of the S&P 500, we've never had a 190-odd day start as bad as this one, except for two other times the year after, usually pretty good. So the, the anxiety is not as bad as it is, and we checked that through the anxiety index on Investopedia. What fear terms are people looking for? Volatility, bear market, uh, bankruptcy. So they're a little bit more scared about their personal finances and the macroeconomic environment, not necessarily the stock market, which has just had this unwinding really since the beginning of the year. Not so scared about it, but it does show you that they're still not ready to jump back in, even though monies are starting to flow into the larger mid caps, as I said, on the ETF front. All right, Caleb Silver, always great to see you, man. Uh, Editor-in-chief of Investopedia, appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Stocks looking to keep up the win streak on the 35th anniversary of the 87 market crash, a.k.a. Black Monday. The key lessons of that day and the parallels to this year's volatility. Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Another busy day on tap for investors on the economic front. We get housing starts and building permits for September at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Then at 2 p.m., the Fed releases its latest beige book. And then on the earnings front, results from Procter & Gamble, Travelers, IBM, and Tesla, all of them on tap, and several speeches from Fed officials later today, including Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, and Chicago Fed President Charles Evans. Markets coming off two straight days of solid gains as investors find some fresh confidence in the stocks on the back of quarterly earnings. Futures right now, as you can see, in the green, off their lows of earlier this morning. At this point, the Dow looks like it could open up slightly higher. Today's session, a very important one, historically at least, marking 35 years since the market crash of 1987. Look at it. We're showing some VHS video right here. Your next guest was there for all that dramatic action and says... It could be seen as a harbinger for things to come in today's markets. Jonathan Hurdle is the founder and executive chairman of Hurdle, Callahan and Company. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm waiting for the video to end. You got the shoulder pads and the power tie on? No? Yes? Not bringing back the 80s fashion? I see you're setting up the camera. Oh, can't hear me right now. We're going to have to wait for Jonathan Hurdle to get set. Um, 
But you know what? We're going to look at futures just for a second. Again, 35th anniversary of Black Monday from 35 years ago. Let's take a look at the futures here for a second. As I mentioned before, in the green, off their lows of earlier this morning, the Dow looks like it could open up more than 50 points higher right now um, as we continue to watch just the action. And again, bond yields just above 4%, something that often puts pressure on mega cap tech and high growth stocks, something again to watch. All right. Once again, Jonathan Hurdle, founder and executive chairman of Hurdle Callahan and Company. Jonathan, I don't think you heard me the first time. I was expecting the shoulder pads, the power tie, the whole 80s look. Where is it at? More technical difficulties. You forgot to suspend it. You had to have suspenders also. That was a big thing in those days. It <laughs> Was it? Yeah. All right. Let's get down to, to some serious business here. Now we got everything settled on the technical side. Um, 1987 Black Monday, obviously a dark day for the markets, a big crash there. Are we set up with all the volatility we're seeing in the markets? Are we set up for anything like that these days? And, you know, basically what happened is 87, there were a series of events, just like any crash. It's usually a sequence of events or a confluence of events that leads to the crash. And we're not in that situation today. So um, I could go through item by item, but there were a lot of things going on then that are different than today. And so my answer takeaway from that is, no, we are not set up for something like that. The likelihood of um, that same sequence coming together is actually quite rare. So that's what my take on that. All right. So you said just before we, we move on to today's market, you said one factor in the crash of 87 was computerized trading it was relatively new then. It's very commonplace now. A lot of times when we see big sell offs. We say, oh, that's the algorithms. Could that lead to you're saying it's not going to happen exactly like it happened in 87, but anything similar these days? Well, generally trading uh, since 82, trading has become a much larger part of the market. In the past, trading really was there to support investing. And so you develop derivatives. And one of the name terms you'll hear a lot about 87 was a thing called portfolio insurance. So there were computer driven models that were using dynamic hedging. Today, I would say it's much more or in those days prior to 82, it's much more, I would say, the way Jim Cramer talks about trading, which is to support investing. So you have a good idea, you have something you want to own and you want to purchase it wisely or you want to sell it wisely. But the purchasing and the selling is not the point. The investing is the point and the trading supports that. That was prior to 82. Since then, more and more and more, the trading has become uh, the focus of mo- many people's activities. So uh, Warren Buffett said in his annual meeting this year, he's never so- seen so much gambling in the market. So um, that's kind of what's going on in the market right now. But that portfolio insurance was computer driven, dynamic hedging, and that certainly contributed to the 87 crash. You got to remember that year the market was still positive. So shortly after that Black Monday, the market started uh, going up again. All right. So how are you positioning your portfolio today, 35 years later after that big crash? We have a lot of inflation. We have rising rates, four, uh, 10-year yield above 4% as we speak. Yeah, the 10-year yield above 4% is hard to live through. The point I would say, because of where it came from, but having a positive 10-year yield is a very good thing in portfolio construction. We've gone through 10 years here where bonds were not an effective tool. So if we can have a real yield on the 10-year and rely on that, that's a constructive thing. You can't predict what's going to happen in the market. You can only prepare. So how do you prepare? You own a lot of assets that you believe in. And that 87 crash uh, was a very short thing. My view is that this decade we're in right now is more likely, you can't predict, but more likely to look like something that was 72 to 82. In other words, a 10-year period that was hard and flat. 
And what I think we're trying to see right now is people are saying, how do we get back to what they think is normal, which was 2019? And that isn't normal. This is more like normal. So stay diversified, make good decisions, think long term. That's investing. All right, Jonathan Hurdle, we appreciate you being here. Important to note, futures rising right now as we're talking. The Dow looks like it could open up more than 100 points higher. And on that note, we're going to toss it over to Squawk Box. That's it for Worldwide Exchange. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.